Morning. Well, if you came from the north today, the northern side, you'll uh, probably got lost in a neighborhood because they're uh, fixing the road there. Thankfully, they're going to widen Bundy Canyon Road, put a stoplight over there, so it'll go for the most dangerous road that we know to a normal road. But I think some high school kids that live in that community are moving the signs around because I had to do a few U-turns to actually uh, get through there the one time, but it'll be worth it in the end. Or in our Life in Him series, if you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 15. We'll actually cover John 15 and 16 today. You can open the Church Center app as well to follow along with us. The context is still, it's just a few hours before Jesus is arrested. He's leaving the dinner time that he had with his disciples. And as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, they must have seen a vineyard because Jesus tells us a story and shows us who he is using the picture of a vine. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. It's described as they walked with God in the cool of the evening. They walked and talked with their maker, but then their sin broke that relationship, created a distance between them and God, and God's plan to rescue mankind through Jesus then took effect. Jesus is describing how we can restore our relationship with God by what he tells us in John 15, how we can live a spiritually fruitful life. And so we have to ask ourselves if we want that, do we wanna be a spiritually fruitful person? Do we want all the people that we interact with to say, man, that was a positive experience. I really felt encouraged and built up by you. Do we want all the negative parts of our nature to be weeded out so we stop hurting the people that we love? Do we want more of the life of Jesus flowing through us? Of course, that's the life we want, to be spiritually fruitful. Now, a year ago, we put three fruit trees in our backyard. Uh, two of them you would be able to identify because there were figs on the fig tree and there were lemons on the lemon tree and then there were leaves on our orange tree. I'll show you a picture I took this week of our orange tree and it is in sad, sad condition. There's a big dead branch that I probably need to prune uh, coming right up the middle of it. And really the only way you'd be able to guess that's a navel orange tree is because there's a tag, there's a picture of an orange on it. Sometimes we're like, oh, look, there's fruit. That's not fruit, that's the tag is all we see. It looks pathetic and I've gotten enough advice after first service to know how to fix it, so thank you. you can, but feel free to keep telling me. I'm underwatering, I know. Now, I know now after first service, but this tag says there should be oranges. The tag says that fruit is coming. When we take the name Christian to be a Christ follower, that says there is fruit coming, the fruit of the Spirit, and Jesus is gonna to talk to us about not just having the tag of being a Christ follower, but following him so closely that our lives are fruitful. And so by obeying the word that we see in John chapter 15 and 16 today, we can avoid being withered and weak and instead be fruitful and strong Christians. And Jesus says it like this in John chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and you are a branch that is, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And so the question we're answering here is how does God help us 
to live a spiritually fruitful life. How does God come alongside us for that? Well, Jesus, as the vine, gives us life-giving nourishment as we are the branches. So our connection is described to Jesus. He's the vine. He's the source of everything that we need. And we just need to stay connected to him, hang on to Jesus, and we will bear fruit. But Jesus says, he's the true vine. That means there's some false vines out there we need to avoid, right? There is a, a source of alleged happiness in the world and in, in sin that is a passing pleasure but that won't really deliver the joy that it says that it will. We need to stay connected to the true vine, Jesus. And so when Isaiah 5 was read during the worship service by Pastor Aaron, we see a picture of, of Judah being described as a vine, and they had perfect conditions. Their Father in heaven was, was looking out for them, but they were the vine. They were the source of their ideas and what they were going to do, and they rejected God. The difference here is Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I will not reject God. I have life to give you through the Father. And so if you just remain attached to me, you will be fruitful. You just have to hold on to Jesus and watch what he is going to do. And so our connection to Jesus will produce the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-likeness and good works, just by being connected to him. And God loves us so much that he's going to help us. And so if we're struggling to produce fruit, God comes alongside us and lifts us up gently. He's going to help us. It's confusing to read in verse two. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And you're like, wait a second, that sounds terrifying. How, does, how is that gently helping me? Well, the phrase cuts off in the original language actually means to lift up or to trim clean which actually goes a little bit better with verse three, where Jesus says, you are already clean in me. The idea of cleaning this branch. And so the idea is that God lifts unproductive branches off the ground. Picture a gardener seeing that the vine is laying on the ground, lifts it up, builds a trellis underneath to support it so it can get more sunlight. And God is described as being gentle in doing this. And we see that throughout the scriptures. And Isaiah 42 says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, right? If we come to God and say, I'm struggling. I, I know that there's more that you wanna do in my life. I know you wanna change me, but I am stuck and I'm, I am fruitless. He says, I will help you. I will lift you up. I will, I will arrange your environment to be more fruitful by getting more sunlight. And so the idea we see in verse two in the beginning is that if we are a true believer and we have no fruit in our life, God is going to move us to some fruit in our life. He'll help us go from zero fruit to some fruit. But if we're a true believer and we are producing fruit, God helps us by pruning so that we produce even more fruit. Now, we don't want him to help us with pruning. Like, what about pruning sounds helpful, right? We're like, I don't, I don't want that in me. It says he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God will prune away all the parts of us that hinder fruit bearing, right? Everything that is unnecessary in our life in regards to bearing fruit, will be removed. It's, it's getting in our way. See, as the, the branch is shortened and pruned, it's quicker and easier for the life-giving source of Jesus to flow into us to make us fruitful. So the idea is that as we stay connected to Jesus, we are pruned by the Father, it's less of me, more of Christ, and that equation leads to an increase in fruit, that we will be more fruitful because of the pruning. 
Now there's another um, vine in our yard that I brag about, but it's my neighbors hanging over my fence. Let me show you a picture of my neighbor's grapevine that is right in our pool yard. It's flourishing. I mean, it's flourishing. There are bunches of grapes like this all over the place. And we're encouraged to pick them because he says, my family doesn't like it. For 20 years, I've been taking care of this thing. It's organic, by the way. And, and I've been taking care of it. He wants me to reach over into his yard and grab the bushels off and take them. Every time I, I do that, my kids like catch me and they're like, dad, you're stealing from our neighbor. I'm like, he instructed me to steal from him. When someone tells you to steal, it's okay to steal. Okay, that didn't work. So I, I have to rephrase that when I'm talking to them. It's a bad parenting lesson, but, but he wants it all for us. And the amazing thing this year is I watched him prune it for the first time. Everything you see completely gone and there's just this, these, this wood on his side of the fence and it looks dead because of how aggressively he prunes it. But when he did that, it flourished the next year and produced so many grapes for us. And even the green ones taste amazing, not just the purple ones. Now, when he was pruning this one time, a branch fell into our yard and Gideon came running over my eight-year-old and said, Dad, the neighbor threw a branch in our yard. This guy, I can't believe this guy. Let's get him and starts running like, whoa, no. Like, thank God I didn't have a pitchfork in the yard. I mean, he was going for it. I'm like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you, you don't attack neighbors, you love neighbors. And he stuck his head over the uh, fence, the neighbor and said, oh, I, I pruned a branch in the yard by accident. Can you throw it over? I'll get rid of it. I'm like, see Gideon? He's like, all right, I'll, he's safe today. I'll let him, I'll let him get away with that today. There's fruit because of the pruning, even though it's a painful process. Now, how does God prune us? Well, one, God prunes us with difficulties. As we go through seasons that are difficult, we can grow closer to God or farther away from Him. His desire is that it would cause us to reach out to Him even more in prayer. And so we see in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Troubles achieve something that's worthwhile if we allow God to do that. James says the same thing in James 1. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. The trial, the testing produces something in us, a character change on the inside. And so God will prune us with difficulties. We don't want it, but if we embrace it, our character can change. God also prunes us with discipline. We don't like this either, right? No one likes getting caught in their sin and being disciplined, but the scriptures say the Lord disciplines the one he loves, right? Any good parent is going to discipline because they don't want their kids to grow up and be these horrible creatures in society. They want to teach them the right way. And so you discipline with love. We had uh, 20 parents over our house on Friday that had read this book called uh, Habits of the Household. And it's just, how do you hijack the normal habits you already have to implement new spiritual habits? So habits of waking and sleeping and mealtimes and departing your house and disciplining your kids. And in that chapter on disciplining, the, the key takeaway was, yes, when you, when you discipline your child, it's good that the consequence matches the crime. Hey, you lied about brushing your teeth, and so there won't be any dessert or snacks for the rest of the week because I can't trust you and your teeth are gonna rot out. And you feel like a win, when, when your punishment matches the crime, right? But he goes even further in the book and says, no, the main goal of the consequence is only ever to bring about confession and reconciliation. So if there's a broken relationship and your kids are fighting, they have to reconcile, they have to restore that relationship. And the consequence you give should lead to that. 
So he actually makes his kids hug until one of them laughs or, you know, you know, just starts smiling a little bit. And then he knows the relationship has been restored. And so how do I discipline in a way where the goal is that I'm right with God is what we learned. But God also prunes besides difficulties and discipline with direction. This is the one that we want to embrace the most. Direction from his word. Jesus said in verse three that you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And the word of God can be a great way for us to be pruned. The scriptures in Hebrews say this about the word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So as we read the word of God, the word itself will condemn sin. And we say, I need to change. And we make those adjustments ourselves without the difficulties and the discipline. It inspires holy living. We want to live righteously. It promotes spiritual growth where we want to become servants that reach our community. Reading the word changes us. And so whether we have, we're a true believer, but we have no fruit and we're struggling, then God is going to get us to the point of having some fruit gently. But if we do have some fruit, God is going to get us to the point of having much fruit because there is kingdom work to do. And if we're willing and we've got some fruit, he has even more great works for us in store. Now, Jesus also warns us here that a failure to abide in him means that you will fail at life completely. This is the verse we read that you're like, what does that mean? Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Like, what does that mean? Who, who is this branch that is thrown away and burned? Well, there's, I think it's worth stopping and sharing three potential interpretations of this. The first, which I have to tell you now, I don't believe, because when I read it first service, I was like, oh, no, I, I don't believe this is the correct interpretation. I'm confident of that. Maybe the branches that are thrown away are the ones who were once true believers, but end up in hell for lack of abiding and lack of fruit. No, if you are a true believer, the rest of the gospel of John itself says that you are safe. Jesus said, you're safe in my father's hands and you are safe in my hands. Nobody can snatch you out of my hands. Jesus takes our eternal security seriously. God does not lose his adopted children. So I don't believe that's the right interpretation. Another way to think about it is that they're the ones who only appeared to be disciples, but never really abided in Jesus. And so they go to hell. This is kind of like Judas, isn't it? Judas appeared to be a believer on the outside with his words, but inside he did not love Jesus and didn't want to, to be a part of this team anymore. And so he becomes a traitor and leaves. But everyone was confused by that because he sure seemed like he was a Christian, but in his heart, he never really loved the Lord. Or it could be that these are fruitless disciples that really just wasted their lives. They were true disciples, but they never really used their lives for the kingdom. And so in effect, their lives are burnt up, but this passage isn't designed to teach us something about eternal security. We don't have to read that into the passage. The goal that Jesus is trying to teach is on being fruitful or fruitless. This interpretation reminds us of Abraham's nephew, Lot, that we read about in Genesis. If you read just the Old Testament, Lot looks like he's making every mistake possible and he just looks like a bad guy. Every decision is a horrible decision that leads to so much pain. And when you read that, you're like, man, this guy's not gonna be in heaven. And then in the New Testament, Lot is described as righteous. 
that his heart hurt so bad being in the city of Sodom among all that wickedness. And you're like, I never would have known that if it wasn't said in the New Testament. His life was not fruitful, but he was a true believer. But he had the, the sadness of not being used by God to change his community. The emphasis, all true believers will abide in Jesus and have some measure of fruit. Now, the picture is perfect as far as a vine and a branch. Jesus is saying, if you're separated, the branch will die. But it, I think Jesus is really trying to communicate to us because he knows there's gonna be seasons where we walk away from him. He's trying to like, think about the modern picture of a cell phone in regards to its battery. You pull the cell phone off the charger in the morning, it's at full charge. And then as you go about throughout the day, this happens to us, especially on vacation when we're looking at restaurants more, the battery starts to go down. And so you might plug it in in your car to get another boost, to get, to get it you know, charged again. And sometimes your, your phone will go into low battery mode where all of a sudden the, the brightness is dimmed, they turn the Bluetooth off and you have some features, but you're not as effective at being full power. And so you get to work and you plug it in again and you go from yellow to green in the battery and you've got the strength again. That might be a better way for us to try and understand this. How many times throughout the day can we reconnect ourselves to Jesus? In your car ride while you're charging your phone, can you be thinking about the Lord, listening to worship, listening to the scriptures? Can that be your prayer time where you're reconnecting to the Lord? The more we do that, the more fruitful we will become. So as we continue, Jesus shows us how we remain in him. In verse seven, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you and greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. This is something only Jesus can say, by the way. Don't use this line. I'll be friends with you if you do whatever I say. I can picture, my, I can picture Titus saying this in first grade. Yeah, I'll be your friend if you obey me. Now, only, only God can say this and not be a creepy friend, okay? But God says, Jesus says, I, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I call you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. So the question is, how do we remain in Jesus so we can live a fruitful life? Well, first we see here that there's a choice. We can do that by choosing. Jesus says, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. We have to make a choice about the activities that we do. This speaks of the will, of decisions, of choices that we have to expose ourselves to Jesus more often throughout each day. And as we do that, we're reconnecting to the vine. And so the choice could be as simple as this. I, I come to church every other week or once a month. I'm gonna choose that if I'm in town, I'm at church. I'm gonna be here weekly. And that choice will bear fruit and you will be connected to the Lord more often. Or maybe you're, you're watching online, but you could be here. Online is perfect for when you're sick. God knows when I was in the hospital a few times this year, I was watching online. And so there's a purpose for it. When you're traveling, when you're on vacation, if you've moved away and haven't yet found a new church, we have online services. But 
if you're close enough to drive here and it's just that the habit during COVID said it's easier to watch online, that's not the purpose for it. And you are missing out on how beautiful corporate worship can be. You think it sounds great in your living room? Wait until you look around and see tears on people's faces worshiping the Lord. It encourages us. And this is the best way for us to disciple each other is to be around each other, pouring into each other. So it could be the commitment is, I'm gonna to go to church weekly in person. The commitment could be, I'm gonna join a life group and get past that fear of, of meeting other people and start having a real sense of community. Or I'm gonna join a discipleship group, that year-long commitment to confess sin one to another, read the scriptures, pray for each other weekly, and watch how God bears fruit in my life. Choosing is one way to remain in Jesus. And then there is reading, reading the scriptures. Jesus says, and my words remain in you. Reading the Bible is perhaps the most effective way for us to remain in Jesus as far as how it leads to radical life change. If you wanna be fruitful, if you want your life to change, read the scriptures daily. It's mind-blowing. Let me show you some charts about what happens to someone that engages with the scripture really often. The first is about the fruit of the spirit that we talked about. The blue line are those that, that engage with the Bible once a week. So that could be reading the Bible once a week, coming to church once a week. That's the blue line. And there's some love, joy, peace, patience, kindness there. The red line is those that engage with the Bible multiple times a week. It's not even double, it's triple and sometimes quadruple how effective the life change is. These, these are anonymous surveys where you're told like to answer the question, do you often give the benefit of the doubt to other people? And that would be marked as then you are, you are loving. And so the surveys are surprisingly accurate. Don't worry about the patience one. They actually ask the question in, in the inverse about impatience and ruin the whole chart. But the fruit of the Spirit grows rapidly with those that have four touch points in the Word each week. A different report that came out shows you how your behaviors change if you read the Bible four times a week. Everything changes, negative and positive. If you read the Bible four times a week, you're 57% less likely to get drunk, 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage, 61% less likely to view pornography, 32% less likely to have anger issues, 40% less likely to have bitterness in relationships, and 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. If you just feel like, I don't feel the presence of God, this doesn't feel real to me, reading the scriptures four times a week makes your spirituality come alive. And even in the positive, you're 228% more likely to share your faith with others and 231% more likely to want to disciple other people. Everything about us changes if we read the scriptures daily, four times a week. That's why the discipleship group plan is for busy believers just to read Monday through Friday and the weekends are left open to get caught up if, if life got too busy. Ah, oh, I didn't read two days this week. I'm gonna get caught up on the weekends. It's designed for busy believers to have a chance at doing this and doing a plan like that will change your life. There's been tens of thousands of people surveyed and life change comes from staying connected to Jesus through the word. So choosing and reading, but also Jesus says it happens through praying. As we have moments where we just say, Lord, help me. Jesus, help me, I'm, I'm tempted or I'm discouraged or I just, I just overreacted or I just sinned in my, with my words. 
Jesus, help me. The more we pray, it's a time that we connect ourselves to the vine and he begins to remind us of who we are, children of God. And also through obeying. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in me. If you do that. And his commandment is simple. Love each other as I have loved you. Simple to understand, not simple to do because he describes it as greater love has no one than this and to lay one's life down for a friend. So sacrificial love is a way to remain in Jesus, choosing, reading, praying, and obeying are ways that we reconnect to the vine. So what's the end result? What is the end result of living a fruitful life? What, what does it look like at the end of your age? Well, it looks amazing. It looks like we want to do this. First of all, you give glory to God. Jesus said, it's for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. People will look at you and say, how? How did this change happen? And you'll say, it was all God. God did this in my life and your life now gives God's life glory. It also increases your assurance of your salvation because as you feel the fruit of the Spirit inside of you changing, as you see good works happening that you never would have done, you realize God is transforming me and now I am fruitful. I can see it and other people are starting to notice it. And there's an assurance of your salvation. Also, you experience God's love. God loves us no matter what, whether we feel it or not, but you begin to feel it as you're in Jesus because all of the Father's love poured out upon his son. Now, if you're in Jesus, you feel that. You know that you're adopted in the family of God. And there's great joy. Jesus says that, that you will remain in my love and that your joy may be complete. The, the goal, the end goal of a Christian isn't to, to just have all these rules and be rigid and judge everyone else and be legalistic. No, there's great joy in following Jesus Christ. Lots of laughter and smiles. There's also friendship with God. Jesus said, my, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's worth it with him, right? If we follow Jesus and he leads this way and we follow after him, we have friendship with God now. The closeness that we can have with God is amazing. Never loneliness, but friendship. And finally, purpose. He says, you will bear fruit, fruit that will last. You will be involved in things that are so important to God's heart that they will be remembered and rewarded for all of eternity. What a way to live. Your life doesn't just matter for a little city for a few moments, but for all eternity, there will be fruit that lasts for those that try and live a fruitful life. This is the life I want. Abiding in Christ has rewards. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that it's all boring and all rules. No, it has rewards. So who can stop us from living a fruitful life? It looks amazing. We want to pursue it. Who can stop us? Can the world stop us? Nope. Not through intimidation, persecution, violence. The world cannot stop us. Chapter 16, verse 2. Jesus said, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God, right? And this is persecution the disciples would eventually experience. As church history says, 11 of them went on to their death because of their faith. Only John seems to have lived to his old age. Everyone else was put down for their faith. So can the world stop us? No, this is all followed up with how powerful the Holy Spirit is in the world. Verse eight, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness in judgment, about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world, convicting people of sin, 
bringing about righteousness. The Bible says in 1 John that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? The world is not going to be able to stop us. But can Satan himself stop us? I mean, he's a big dog, right? Can Satan himself stop us? Spiritual warfare is real. We have 100 ladies in the women's Bible study that's just starting where they're studying on spiritual warfare. It's real, right? But look at what Jesus says about the big dog, Satan. The Holy Spirit will convict about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. There is a time when Satan will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire and will bother us no more. The Spirit of God dwells in us. Satan can't come against us. Well, here's the final one. This one feels a bit more possible. Can I stop myself? Can I sin so big that God will stop loving me? Well, look at what the disciples say. Look how confident the disciples are, just like Peter was, about how they're not gonna sin. It says, now you're speaking clearly, Jesus, without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. They're confident. Now we understand Jesus. We're gonna follow him perfectly. Verse 31. Oh, do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. These disciples that are following Jesus would all abandon him. They would all scatter. And yet Jesus speaking about Peter in the last chapters we looked at, who would betray Jesus three times, still has a place for Peter in the church. Peter's gonna become a church leader. And Jesus speaking to these other disciples that are gonna scatter and ditch him, he doesn't say, so that's it. You abandoned me in my time and needs. So you're cut off and I'm gonna find some new ones. No, he knows that he's going to draw them back to himself. There's no permanent punishment and disqualification for them. He's going to bring them back into a relationship with himself. We can't even stop the love of God that he has for us. And so Jesus closes chapter 16 by saying, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will all have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God wants us to live spiritually fruitful lives. That happens as we simply hang on for dear life to Jesus, and then his life flows through us and will produce fruit. If I watered my stinking orange tree a little bit more, it probably would produce fruit. Jesus's life is going to flow through us. And so how do we remain in Jesus this week? Is it by choosing to be a part of a team like we talked about, to discover your gifts, to join a life group or discipleship group, to come to church weekly instead of every other week? Is it choosing? Is it reading the word and recognizing, wow, if I, if I read this book four times a week, my whole life changes? Everything I don't like about myself changes? Yeah, well, it, because it's just you staying connected to the vine. Is it by more consistent times of prayer or by obeying Jesus where he has spoken clearly? How does the Holy Spirit want us to remain in Jesus this week? However we choose to move forward from that, we go from zero fruit to some or from some to much fruit. So Father, please show us how. Show us what you want from us, Lord. You just wanna bless us. You wanna give us great joy and friendship and you want us to experience your love instead of guilt. You want the best for us. And we just have to simply connect ourselves to Jesus more often throughout the day, throughout the week. Show us how so that we can receive this massive blessing 
of a changed life that you want to give us. Please give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys this week. We've got a prayer team up here. If you need prayer, please come forward for that.